Lord, we thank you, Heavenly Father, Lord, for your compassion, for your love, God, for your mercy that woke us up this morning and started us on our way. Thank you for this opportunity to come out and share in your word, God. We know that thy word is true. And we thank you for it right now. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and thank God. Come on, get a Lord a hand clap of praise for me one more time if you would. This morning, due to the fact that we are going to have a business meeting followed by this morning worship service, kind of like wanted to get us kick-started a little bit in terms of the vision of the church. Um, understand that top-down vision is a biblical concept, but you'll find that it's a biblical contact primarily in the Old Testament. God established his, his vision for the church in his commission to the church. And our mission is to win souls and to make disciples. Amen, amen, amen. So we've already have the vision. We know what we're supposed to be doing. But then we need to look at how are we supposed to get to where we need to be at. And that's what we'll take a look at uh, today. Uh, that's what I will be unrolling uh, out to you guys this morning, is how I believe that God is leading us the direction that he desires to lead us in, that we might be able to accomplish the Great Commission and to win those souls in making disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you would, turn with me to the book of Acts in the second chapter. As you know, I've been dealing with gifts this month, and we're going to kind of like try to keep the same thing as well as uh, try and uh, make sure that we set ourselves up for the vision which God has given us. What I want to do is I want to read the first three verses of the second chapter of Acts, and then I'm going to skip down to verse number 41, and we'll read it throughout its entirety. Acts 2, first chapter, first verse, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like fire, as of, like a, as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Now when we go down to verse number 41, it reads like this. It says, And then they, then they that gladly received his words were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men 
as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to his church daily such as should be saved. From these verses here, I would like to preach from this thought. The gift of the Holy Spirit and the birth of a church. The gift of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. These two events happened simultaneously on the same day. Jesus had promised his disciples that when the Holy Spirit had come upon them, that they would be receive power and that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Understanding that he had already given them the great commission in Matthew 28 chapter, he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. So these two verses work in concert together to give us what we should be doing and how we're to go about doing it. I've been preaching and I've been teaching on being effective witnesses. It makes no sense in going out and we're being ineffective in our witness. Because if we are not effective in our witnesses, we become counterproductive in what we do. And usually what happens is that whoever comes behind us will have to clean up the mess that we left because we have, we're not prepared in order to go in the first place. And so that's why Jesus commissions us to make disciples. Well, what is a disciple? A disciple is one, someone who has been disciplined, has come underneath the authority of some teaching. And that's why I implore you, I encourage you to come out to Bible study. That we might make ourselves fit and ready to be able to go out and to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you not know that it is not easy being a witness. Because in being a witness, you must make sure that your credibility is intact. And that is our job. That is why the church exists today. We're going to look at three reasons this morning why the church exists. The first reason that the church exists is that we exist that we might worship God. The second reason why we, uh, it exists is that we exist because we must minister to people. And then thirdly, we're going to look at we exist because we are to evangelize the world. But let's start with the worship. Because this is where everything begins, is in worship. 
The problem with most of us is that we believe that worship just takes place right here. We leave out of here and we don't worship God anymore. But did you not know that worship means to submit yourself, to come underneath the authority of God and to obey his commands? You worship God by how you live your life. You cannot just come in here on Sunday mornings and lift up your hands and say, thank you, Jesus, praise God, sing songs with the choir and leave out of here unchanged. There is something that is said in the service of God that is for you. Whether you want to receive it or not is totally up to you. And then whether you want to do anything with it once you leave out of here is totally up to you. God is not going to make you do it. Understand that there is a need for ministry work here. I, I, listen, listen here. The ministry work that I endeavor to do, I'm not asking for a whole lot of money to do it. More than anything I'm asking for is laborers. People who are willing to roll up your sleeves and let's go to work. Listen, this, this is what I'm talking about. On yesterday, I had the privilege, and I, I'm I, I, I counted it a privilege to go and share at the Detroit Rescue Mission, the Genesis House 2, a women's shelter. And when I tell you there is a great need in this place for that, we need, this is the place that the church needs to be. There were about, there were about 30 women and their children in this place. And there was only about maybe, what, 10 Christians trying to minister to these women and their children. There were babies crying because they didn't have a place to stay. There were mothers looking for hope some kind of way. You would not believe how many times I heard people saying that they didn't have any hope. They wanted hope. They wanted something that they could believe in. And understand, church, it's not necessarily all about throwing money at a situation to fix the situation. Sometimes it's going to take us. And we worship God through our work. What are we doing for the Lord? How, how, how are we being a blessing outside of these four walls? What are, what are we doing, really? What, are, what, 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 what was the last time that you invited somebody to come to worship service with you? These are difficult questions. When is the last time you invited somebody to come out to Bible study? Or better yet, when is the last time you came to Bible study? Because this is where witnesses are made at. This is how we learn how to do what God has commissioned us to do. And this is what I promised God that I would do, that I would, I would deal with worship. Listen, did you not know that if your worship is correct, if your worship is right, people will come because they will see a demonstration of your worship on the job, in your neighborhoods. They'll see it. 
If you don't believe me, remember the woman at the well? When she encountered Jesus, he taught her how to worship. And what did she do? She went back to her town and invited them to come in and worship with him. Why? Because our worship needs to be genuine. Our worship needs to be for real. And this is what the gift of the Holy Spirit gives us. Because the only way for us to worship Jesus is to worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. It is the gift of God's Holy Ghost that gives us the means to be able to live a worshipful life. Not just a worship experience. And that's the problem, is that a lot of us just have a worship experience and we don't have that worshipful spirit. And that's why it does not leave these four walls because we don't take it with us. But God wants us to worship him. One of our most important and greatest commitment to God in our worship to him is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy mind, thy soul, and thy strength, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. This is how you indicate that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, is how you love people. And then understand that there are times that you love people, you must tell them the truth. You must be honest with people. But we're never to become judgmental towards people. When I presented the gospel last night, I was honest with these women. I told them what they stood in need of. I told them that there was hope in Christ, in Christ Jesus. I told them that there was an opportunity for their lives to be better. And it goes beyond their physical needs. But it goes down to a spiritual need that all of us have. So we exist that we might be a demonstration of what real and genuine worship looks like. We must be a demonstration of that. That's the reason why God saved us. Because we must have that passion. Listen here. There is so much out there that is wrong with the world today. And we have to be people that have a passion for what we do. If your passion is just to sit here and to hear some words uttered across this sacred desk, then you're missing the mark. If your passion is not to be able to go out and to share this gospel with other people, then we're missing the mark. If your passion should be to love people, to empathize with people, to bear one another's burdens. Because the Bible tells us that love will cover a multitude of sin. In other words, love will cause us to put up with some stuff we wouldn't ordinarily put up with. And all of us are to work together. The Bible talks about us not consuming one another. But we're to love one another. 
As a matter of fact, that's how you, that's the test to know whether or not you saved or not, whether or not you can love the brethren. And if you can't love the brethren, then the Bible said that the love of God is not in you. Because there are times that the brethren are not easy to love. I shared I share with them last night. I said, I said, you are the people that the church has forgotten. The church seems to feel like out of sight, out of mind. If we don't see it, this situation does not exist. But I've already committed myself. I have not committed you, but I've committed myself to this work. I've committed to lead the way and to roll up my sleeves and go in and begin to minister to these people who are without myself. This is what I'll do. And I'm praying that I'll be able to lead us as a church to be able to help those people who cannot help themselves. This is not popular in the church. This is not an easy subject. This is difficult. This requires a commitment. This requires great faith. This requires coming out of your comfort zone. Which leads me to my next point, is that the church is to minister. It exists to minister to the people. We have an obligation to minister to the people. And the only way that we can do that is that we understand what it really means to be one body in Christ. If you notice in the text that, 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 that it said that they were all come together with the same mind and on one accord. In other words, they moved and operated with the same focus and the same mission in sight. They had the same object and the same goals. This is the birth of a church. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he preaches a message to these Jews that had come from all over the world. And look at here. It says that 3,000 souls were saved. Now in today's time, we would want to accredit Peter with saving 3,000 souls. But understand, it was not Peter that did this. It was God that added to the church. And if we're looking for church growth here in terms of numerical value, it is God that will add to the church. But I'm not as much concerned about adding people to the roles as I'm as adding people to heaven's role. That is my main objective. That is my sole objective is to win people to Christ. Because if we do it, God will do everything else. He'll, 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 he'll take care of everything else. If you're wondering about, about the building, the building is not the church. We as individuals, we are the church. This building is to shelter us. That's what it does. It has been consecrated unto God, but it's just a shelter. 
We are the church. You take us out of here, it's no longer the church. This is the church here. The people who are here. Those who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart and all of your mind, all of your soul. You are the church. And so Luke writes here and he encourages them. He encourages them in three areas. In verse number 42, he encourages them to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Well, what does that mean? That means that these people were brand new converts. They did not understand all the, 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 the intricacies of salvation. And so what they were saying, they were, they were going to trust that the apostles who was receiving it from the gift of the Holy Spirit would feed them. Did you get that? People need to be fed. And it takes the apostles' doctrine. You say, well, you're not an apostle. You're absolutely right. But I have the apostles' doctrine right here. This is, his doc this is the apostles' doctrine right here. It is the word of God. And that's why it's important that you stay with people who are teaching and preaching the word of God. Don't, don't get with some of these pastors that want to sell weed from their churches. That is not the apostles' doctrine. That is nowhere in the scripture. Nowhere in the Bible. The apostles' doctrine is living a life of holiness. Living a life that is sold out in serving God. It is living a life of sanctification. Sanctifying ourselves. Every last one of us have some stuff in our lives. God has been trying to get out of our lives for a long time. And we in our own stubborn way want to keep holding on to it. That's like, that's, a, that's, like, that's like the man having a, a, a girlfriend. He know ain't no good for him. But I love her. And that's how we are about some of our sin. But my question to you is that when will you start loving God more than you love your sin? When, when will you get to a place to where you, you, you put down your little pet peeves and your little sins that you're doing and saying, God, for you, I sacrifice this. I give up this because, God, you love me enough to die for this sin. Why am I keep holding on to it? The sin of covetousness. The sin of fornication. The sin of homosexuality. These are all sin and an atrocity to God. And we cannot serve others while we have these sins in our lives. So they continue steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, but then they also continued in fellowship. And I understand that we, we, we're still in the pandemic. COVID is rearing its ugly head again. But it is still not an excuse for not fellowshipping. 
Fellowshipping is actually the word cornea in the Greek, and it means to take part in with someone else, to share in one's, uh, one's fellowship. Fellowship can never be done by yourself. You need the partnership with people and come into the fellowship with people. Fellowship. We fellowship in the fact that we share the same Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. We we share in the same Holy Spirit which guides our lives. We share in the same love for God. We share in the same desire to worship him. We share in the same struggles in life. We share in the same victories. We share in the same job of living for him. We share in the same joy of communicating his gospel to this dying world. This is our fellowship. This is how we're connected. This is is what all of us should. This should be all of our goal. This should be all of our objective. It is not just for the preacher to do. It is for all of us to do. Each and every one of us has a role to play. And we come to serve people because serving in ministry is our greatest calling. You have been called to a life to serve others. Jesus put it this way. He said, I did not come into this world to be served. But I came that I might give my life a ransom for all. And if our Lord Jesus Christ understood that he was a servant, that he was a suffering servant, what is our problem? Ministering the goods that we have to other people. Mostly all of us in here, God has blessed above and beyond. Why can't we just share some of it? If, 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 if you don't have resources to give, you've got some time to give. When, when did the church become so busy to us? We don't have time for this and we don't have time for that. You see, we make time for what we want to make time for. If we really want to do something, we'll find the time to do it. But if we're going to be effective witnesses, if we're going to be effective in our serving, we need to make some time for it. So, so, so all of us need to be strategic in our, in, our, in our ministry work. In other words, what I mean, you need to look at your calendar and start mapping out some time. That you can give God glory. Jesus said that the poor will always be with us. Now, every, every second of the day, there are poor folk, there are injured folk that need us. So it doesn't matter when you, when, what time you want to you serve at, there's always going to be somebody to serve. But then we want to look at the church exists to evangelize, to evangelize. Evangelize is taking the gospel to this dying world. Some people say that evangelism is just leaving tracks on the door in a mailbox. And that's a part of it. But it is not all of it. I'll cover it a little bit bit later on, but there are three areas of evangelism that I want to take a look at. Evangelism is critical to the church, and it's even more critical to this world. 
Because there are plenty of people out there that need the word of God. And everyone in this room that is a born-again believer has the ability to evangelize. It's a matter of you learning the techniques of evangelism. The problem is, and I told the ladies last night, I said, I don't want to talk to your intellect. I, 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 don't, want to, I don't want to talk to your, to your mind. I said, I want to talk to your heart tonight. Because that's where the difference is made when we talk to the hearts of individuals. And we've got to learn the technique of, of meeting people where they're at. We, we, we keep expecting people to get it right before they come to us and then we can offer them some help. No, you got to meet them when they're jacked up, messed up, just out there. Because that's what God met me at. Look, in, in, in this text, you know, these people, these people who had received the gift of the Holy Spirit, it said that they all believed and were together and had all things in common. They were on one accord. There was no fighting. There was no bickering. They all followed the lead of the apostles. There is, there is a gift that everyone has to give to the church. And the gift of the pastor is to provide leadership to the church. It is to encourage you. It is to counsel you. It is to love you. And you're to take that same leadership out to the world. And that's where we get the term leading people to Christ. You lead them by how you live. Not by necessarily by what you say. Because the mouth can say anything. It's in how we live. And so you have to question yourself. You have to examine yourself. Am I living in accordance to what the apostles' doctrine is teaching? Do I have all things in common? And if you do, you'll see this effect that it had on this body. The effect is, is found in verse number 45. This is the hard saying. He said, and they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men and every man had need. So they were to the point to where they were willing to sacrifice and give up everything that they had. Now understand, listen here, this is not a model by how we should be doing it in the church today. I'm not asking you to sell none of your stuff. I ain't selling none of mine. But what it's teaching us is that, that, that we should have that spirit to give. We should have that spirit to want to sacrifice for other people. Understand that the day of Pentecost happened one time and one time only. And this is how they had decided that they were going to live together. Did you not know that there were some people that were here on this day of Pentecost had came from miles away and had forsaken their hometowns? They stayed right there in Jerusalem. And so there was a need for them to be able to be cared for. And the saints that were there, that's what they did. They opened up their doors to them. They brought them in. They let them reside there. They gave them food. They gave them bread. And much in the same way, we're to have that same giving heart. We're to love with the same commitment that these disciples did. Now understand that this system was not a perfect system. 
As a matter of fact, the system was flawed because they constantly needed help from other churches and other churches did support the ministry. We have no indication that there was a permanent situation in this church. But what I believe is that until they were able to disciple these men, until they were able to get them strong enough to send them back to their homes, they took care of them. And that's the model for the church. We're to bring them in. We're to keep them here. We're to disciple them. And then we're to send them out. That they might be disciples and win others for Christ as well. This was God's vision for his church. This was his doing. This wasn't Peter's doing. Peter was doing what the gift of the Holy Spirit was giving him to do. And understand this, that I'm doing what I believe the Holy Spirit is telling me to do. What you see that stands before you is a flawed man, but it is a man that God has called. It is a man that God has put his hands on, and the reason why I know that he's put his hands on me is because I am sensitive to what he says. And I'm not afraid to be transparent. I'm not afraid to let you know that, yes, I've made some mistakes. I'm not afraid to admit to it and own up to it. And I know how to stand before God and ask for forgiveness and come to you and ask you for forgiveness. So under my leadership, I'm going to make some mistakes. I know that we want to think that preachers and pastors are perfect, and we're not. Some of y'all think that pastors and preachers don't hurt, that we don't have any struggles, we won't have any pains. We do. But we lead because the Holy Spirit compels us to lead. We go because the Holy Spirit compels us to go. And so look at here, the, 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 the last two verses in this text, it says, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple. This is the third time it talks about them being on one accord. There's a reason why he keeps saying this. And breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and the singleness of heart. Singleness of purpose. They had one objection, objective. Look at verse 37, uh, 47, they caused them to pray. They said, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as shall be saved. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. We have no power or authority to save anybody. Our commission is to preach and to teach and to live before them and be a witness to them. It is not to be counterproductive to what God is trying to do. So this is the vision. Jesus gives the vision. He is the vision. And he gives the vision because he's the one that made way and provision for the vision. 
He made provisions over 2,000 years ago at Calvary's cross. Jesus seen that this day would come. He knew that what would be needed. And he went to Calvary's cross to die for our sins. He gave himself for us. He sacrificed himself that we might be saved. Can't you see Jesus hanging out on Calvary for your sins and for my sins? He suffered, bled, and died on that cross. Blood streamed from his temple, streamed from the wound in his side where they had pierced him. They hung him high, stretched him wide. He hung his head in the locks of his shoulders and he died for our sins. But the good news is that he did not stay there. They took him off the cross, put him in a borrowed tomb, but he rose on the third day with all power of heaven and earth in his hands. That is the message that he wants us to take. That is the message that he wants us to live. Too many of us just talking. We need to live this just like Jesus lived it. But he's coming back. And I want this to be a church that is going to be working when he comes back. I want us to be busy about our father's work. And that is making disciples and winning souls for Christ. We thank God for it. The gift of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church because the church is continuing to be added to by the Holy Spirit. We thank God for it. We thank you, Lord. Please stand to your feet. The door to the church is open.